0: Well, it is definitely great to be here. It's, it's an honor and privilege to have to unfold God's Word uh, for us this morning. And so if you haven't done so already, open your Bible to Acts chapter 9, and I think we would all agree that the power of a testimony, it's riveting. A power of, of seeing a person's life transformed by the grace of God is so challenging. It's encouraging. It's equipping. It gives us hope, and it reminds us that Christ does great work in the lives that uh, in the lives of his people. So when you think about powerful testimonies, I, several things come to our mind. We might think of one. We might think of the work that God did in our life because, regardless of the testimony, for every one of us, it was a miraculous and a meticulous work of God's grace in each of our lives. If we know Jesus Christ, none of us deserve that, and so we. We certainly could think of our own faith, but then we also might think of a good friend of ours or someone that we knew that their life was radically changed. We praise God for that. There are several of those friends that come to uh, my mind as I think about throughout the, uh, well, several years. I won't tell you how many years that I've had on this earth, but many. Uh, And this is just a reminder of God's grace. But when we think of Scripture, there are also several testimonies that come to our mind when we think about the Bible. uh, one is Nicodemus, just a ruler of the Jews, how he came to Jesus, and the way that he did, the manner that he came to Jesus, and how the Lord changed his life. We might think of Andrew when he was so eager, when he came to Christ, he was, he was so eager to think about his brother and wanted to bring Peter to Jesus, and so that was a remarkable testimony there in John chapter 1. Or we could think of the thief on the cross— which is an amazing story of God's grace and how the thief on the cross made, I mean, as far as the percentage of his, the, the time on his earth, just maybe minutes. We don't know how long he had on this earth after God radically saved him, but he made the most of it. And so we are amazed by that. But one that comes, has to, I'm sure comes to all of our minds is the passage that you just heard, read, uh, just a moment ago, and that's the life of Saul. And so as we look at this, let's just pray that God will open up his, our eyes and encourage us with uh, God's word. But I do want to read what the psalmist had to say about telling of the great works of God. In Psalm 71, the psalmist said, My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, the deeds of your, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. So, we're just encouraged by the psalmist to have the deeds of God that he is doing all the time, but specifically that he's doing in our life and maybe our church's life, to have those deeds on our minds so that we can speak of them often, so that we can delight in what God does. So, that's the psalmist's attitude. And so, that's one of the reasons I love baptisms here. We've mentioned this before, but every time we have a baptism, we have the joy and the privilege of hearing. God's work of grace in their life and just how the Lord has changed their life. And so may that be, every time we hear that, may that be a reminder of the Lord and his grace. But as we, be, as we look at this, I did share three questions that I think are helpful and my, my desire is to be equipping in one sense for all of us as we think about our the testimony and as we think about God's grace in our life. And so those three questions... Um, they're in their bulletin at the end, but I think they're helpful in framing our testimony. I don't know if you've had any, someone share, ask you, so what is your testimony? Again, as I, as I just mentioned, if you've been baptized here at First Baptist, you've had the privilege of thinking about that and, and writing that out and sharing that with us. You've also had the privilege, if you are served as a deacon here or an elder, you've had the privilege to think about that because we ask for your testimonies, but it's helpful for every one of us to think about communicating and verbalizing our testimony. And so we often think of what we do, like maybe our life before Christ, what happened in our life at that moment, and then how we changed after Christ. And that is helpful. That's certainly a part of it. That's like the fruit of what God does in our life. But the three questions that I want us to share and think about today as we walk through Acts 9 is number one is what did you what did you believe about Christ? So think about your life before Christ. Think about what was your attitude towards Jesus. Was it that oh he was a good person? Maybe you know he was he was just oh yeah that's that's my parents' faith. That's what I thought about Jesus. That was Jesus. That was God for my parents, but not really me. Or maybe you didn't even believe in God. And so thinking about what you believe, what did you believe about Christ is helpful. The second question I want us to think about is what should you believe about Christ? So when we think about our testimony and sharing it, it's what we believed about Christ. What did God use? What scripture did God use to open our eyes to bring us to the knowledge that we need faith in Jesus Christ? We need the Lord. Several testimonies come to mind, but uh, we're all familiar. We've, we've talked about the testimony of Charles Spurgeon in that snowstorm, that one, that one day, that one morning, where he made his way to this Methodist church and the, the Methodist the preacher wasn't there, but, but someone stood up and, and quoted Isaiah 45, 22. It was, the Lord was using that verse in Spurgeon's life, which says, look to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. I am God and there is no other. So there, Charles Spurgeon God convicted him and helped him see that he needed to look to Jesus as his Savior. Well, the last question is, is what do you believe about Christ? And so as you have the moment, as you have the privilege to share your faith with someone, think about those three questions. What did you believe about Christ? What scripture did God use to help you realize what you should believe about Christ and then What do you believe about Christ now? So look at let's look at Acts nine and let me just read first verse again. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogue at Damascus. So the first question is helpful for us to think about: Is who is Saul? Again for those of us that have been Christians for any length of time and we heard the question what do you think about Saul or you know what do you think about Paul the things that the things that come to our mind would be oh Paul was a phenomenal preacher he was a missionary one that might maybe has come to our mind over the last several months is we're a, he's a church planner especially as we're thinking about and praying and we just we are planning a church here Lord willing, in the life of this church over the next year, we're looking at Paul to say, oh, wow, what did he do? How he was a phenomenal church planner. He was a bold proclaimer of Jesus Christ, that's for sure. But that wasn't who he was. We're going to learn in Scripture who Saul was. And this testimony, we're going to look at Acts 9. But I am going to grab some other parts of his testimony because the testimony of Saul is one, it's mentioned in Acts 9, but also you can find the testimony in Acts 22 and Acts 26. And even in some of the letters that Paul writes, he refers back to his testimony. And so when when you take all of that together, it helps uh, us give a more, more robust picture of really who this person was. Well, in Acts 22, we know that he was, a, he was a student of the law. He studied under Gamaliel. Now, that won't, when we hear that, study under Gamaliel, that, that just might go just right by us. But Acts 22 says about him, about Gamaliel, that he was a teacher of the law. And actually, in Acts 5 says, he was held in honor by all people. And so Saul was a, a student of Gamaliel top professor of the Old Testament at the time. So he was respected. He was, he was an influential teacher. Now also we know about Saul, he was a zealous man. He, there was a lot of energy that Saul put forth in his, in his pursuit of pleasing God. For example, in Galatians, Saul talks about this zeal. He says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. I was so extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. So Saul was a zealous man. It wasn't as if he did not care about religion. You, you would say, we would say, he was, he was very spiritual. He was a very spiritual man, zealous, learned man, educated man. The most pre- most prestigious Uh, Education that you could give, that was, or that you could receive, that was Saul. Saul received it. In the book of Philippians, in his letter to the Philippi, this is what he says about his former life. In Philippians 3, we learn that he was circumcised on the eighth day. Now, that was, you're a Jew, you wanted to be circumcised on the eighth day. That really says more about his parents than him. I, you know, he, I'm sure that didn't occur to his mind at that moment. But he could say, yes, I was, I was obedient to the law. I grew up in a family that, that, that circumcised the eighth day. Listen, he goes on. He says, I was circumcised the eighth day. I was of the people of Israel. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. When you think of an Israelite, when you think of a Jew, I was the top. I was the man, and as to the law, a Pharisee. So very respect. On the outside, he had everything together. Again, he mentions his zeal. So his zeal was a big deal. He mentions mentions it in Galatians, and he also says in Philippians, he says, "I was a persecutor of the church." And as to the righteousness under the law, I was blameless. We just had evangelism training uh, this past Wednesday, and we were talking about different, uh, uh, just different thought, thought-provoking questions to ask people. One of those is just really the good person test. And just to ask someone, do they think they're a good person? Well, Many people, as you, guys, as you know, as we all know, as we go out and we talk about people, they'll, most people will say, yeah, I'm a pretty good person. If you asked Saul that question, he would have not, he wouldn't have said, I think I'm a good person. He said, oh, I am most righteous. I am the Hebrew of all Hebrews. All right, that's Saul. But i I do want to mention one more in Acts 26, verse 9. He says of himself, I was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. So there was his zeal. He was convinced that his life and his, obe- his the way he was going to please God, the best way to do that was to persecute the people that followed Jesus. As I did so in Jerusalem, I not only locked up many of the saints in prison, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote for them. Or he, he was in favor of that. All right, so again, look at verse 1 of chapter 9. But Saul still breathing threats. Luke wants us to realize there is nothing that changed so far about Saul. It wasn't as if there were some things happened and he was almost to the point of salvation. He was, he hated Christians. This, this, this idea of breathing threats, it, shares, it shows a deep disgust for the things, for the people of Christ, for the people of God. He hated them. If you'll just flip to chapter 8, we get a little bit more insight into Saul Chapter 8, verse 1 says, Saul approved of his execution, which was the execution of Stephen. We'll talk about it in a moment. But notice verse 3 of chapter 8. Verse 3 said, But Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. He wreaked havoc on Christians. Dragging men, dragging women off, it didn't matter. He persecuted the church. And now Luke, and here in in Acts chapter 9, verse 1 wants to remind us that he's still in that state of mind. Notice verse 3 or verse 2. He asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So here here it is. Not only now does he hate hate believers, hate Christians, now he wants wants to make sure he has full approval to do whatever he can to the church. He's He's got a free pass. He's going through red lights. Actually, they're not read for him. He's proving that, no, I have full approval from the high priest, from the highest authority, religious authority there is to go after. I've got approval to put Christians in prison and put them to death. And so he would call, you can imagine air quotes around this. Again, in verse, uh, verse 2, he found any belonging to the way. So it was really, that was a way to mock any Christians. There were the people, oh, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, or the life. Oh, that's what he says. So these are Christ followers, the people of the way. I'm also, I'm not so sure if Saul was thinking about what Jesus said. I'm also thinking, Saul probably was bringing up his Old Testament knowledge. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3 says, A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight the desert a highway for our God. So we already know Saul was a learned man. He was an expert in the Old Testament. And so now he's just mocking these, these Christ followers He'd be mocking you and I in the day and say, oh yeah, they are the people that say they are people of the way. And he's scoffing, but yet he has a green light now to go after them. So he goes to the synagogues. Now, synagogue, that doesn't communicate much to us now, but understand, this was the center of Jewish worship. This was the center of activity. I remember when I was a, a, a kid growing up, my my grandparents had a condominium on Lake Tanicomo, and so we would go there in Missouri. It was right across Lake, uh, or uh, Can- the Canikuk. Loved going there, but what I, the reason I love that is not so much our, our home, but right down the street, there was this place called The Hub. Never fully understood why, but uh, it was called The Hub, but it was, I guess it was just a gathering of, this is where life happened, and well, when you got there, they had the pool table, they had the pick, pick, uh, ping pong table, they had a swimming pool, they had games, they had beverage drinks, they had food, everything. It was just the center of activity. So that's where you found, that's where you found me a lot during, when we would visit, visit there. Well, in, in the synagogues, if you're going to interact with Jews, you're going to go to the synagogue. It's the center of activity. Community life happened around the synagogue. Administration took place, so everything took place. And now, because of the persecution of Saul, or that Saul approved, because of that persecution, Christians, you remember, they were scattered all over. So they would leave Jerusalem, and they made it all the way up to Damascus, which is about 120, 150 miles away from Jerusalem. Saul is going to go after them, and so he's targeting the synagogue. Jesus reminded his disciples. Jesus prepared his disciples for people like Saul. In John 16, listen to what Jesus said. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father Nor known me. So the question that I asked at the very beginning: What did you think about Christ? If we were to ask that question of Saul, what did Saul think about Christ? He thought he was a blasphemer. He thought he was deceptive. He thought he was dead, for that matter. But he had no healthy thought of who God was. His doctrine was an error. He was heretical in his view of Christ. His doctrine of man was skewed because he was, again, the Hebrew of Hebrews. Self-righteous, thinking that you can earn favor with God. His doctrine of the resurrection was severely underdeveloped. It wasn't that he didn't believe in a resurrection. That was the Sadducees. The Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. Saul had an idea of the resurrection, but he just did not think that Jesus was the one so his theology was, was not, was false. But I want to just remind us all, when we look at Saul's life, this should bring us hope, it should bring us courage that God changes lives. But it starts, I don't want you to miss this, it starts with prayer. When I look at Acts 9 and, we've, and we think about the life of Saul, I'm aware that probably every one of us has someone in our life that it's heartbreaking when we see their life. We want more than anything for them, for God to open their eyes and for them to come to faith in Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you of Acts, in Acts chapter seven, I want to remind you of a prayer that Stephen prayed. As Saul was persecuting, Stephen, as he, was approved, as he approved people to stone Stephen, this is what Stephen said, or did. The last breath of Stephen's life on earth, falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. And when Stephen had said this, he fell asleep. Think about that for a moment everything that we have just discussed with Saul, everything that's packed in verse 1 and 2 of Acts 9, this man was an evil man, but yet the humble and faithful and bold prayer that Stephen prayed, moments before his death, the Lord applied it to Saul. And you know, brothers and sisters, that gives us so much hope is that I'm aware that some of us this morning are in this room and they're thinking, we're thinking about our older son or older daughter. Maybe it's our spouse or relative. Maybe it's a co-worker. From the eyes on the outside looking in, we think there's no hope for them. They'll never, never come to Christ. It's just impossible. Well, we know it is impossible with man, but listen, God answers prayers, and he answered Saul's prayer. Stephen never knew. Stephen never knew that God would answer, that God answer the prayer, but he did. And so maybe it's the Lord convicting us right now, reminding us right now, let's pray for those people that the Lord brings to our mind. Pray and believe that God does change lives. So notice Jesus confronts Saul, verse three. Verse three now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. This is amazing. This is a a light. The Lord came and he confronted Saul in the very path that he was going to persecute Christians. The Lord revealed himself to Saul. In the other testimony in Acts 26, verse 13, Saul recounts that moment this way. He says, at midday, at midday, O king, he was speaking to the king about his testimony. He said, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. It was unmistakable that God revealed himself to Saul. I love the fact that there were witnesses there. You, you learn that in Acts chapter 9, verse 7 and 8. People, it, it was undeniable. This was not a subjective little experience that Saul had. It was verifiable. There were men that were with Saul. They may not have seen, understood Jesus. In fact, we know that they didn't fully understand. They didn't understand what they were hearing. But they cannot deny what happened. And so God sovereignly and meticulously had other people with Saul on that day just to advance the name of Christ. It's amazing. So Jesus confronts Saul, but he also convicts Saul. Look at verse 4. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, there's, there's a few things I want us just to notice briefly as we look at this verse. Notice the physical demeanor. Notice that what the, uh, Saul's demeanor changed. When he realized he was in God's presence, he fell to the ground. So overwhelmingly captivating for Saul that he fell. And this is the common human response when we go in in the presence of the Lord. Matter of fact, this was of uh, the Roman soldiers. They answered when they were crucifying, about to capture Jesus. uh, Jesus said, whom do you seek? And they answered, we seek Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said, I am he. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Saul was in the presence of the Lord this day. Undeniable, verifiable, he met with Jesus. But notice the intentionality that God intentionally sought Saul. Notice the repetition of his name. Saul, Saul. When you, hear, when you have a repetition of name, this is really emphasizes the importance of this message. Notice, it's, there's a sharp, there's a, Emotional and a clear message to Saul. And we have that throughout scripture. Let me just share a few times. You remember when God spoke to Abraham? It's really the angel of the Lord spoke to Abraham. In, Abraham. in Genesis 22, verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And that's when God stopped Abraham. In Exodus, listen to this. When the Lord saw that he turned aside, speaking of Moses, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. God spoke to Samuel in 1 Samuel 3.10. And the Lord came and stood, calling at other times. He said, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. He spoke to Simon the same way. Simon. Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that you might sift, he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And then again, then again in Scripture, we have Martha. Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Jesus is intensely and very specifically, very meticulously going to Saul. Saul, Saul, and then he asks a very convicting and enlightening question. He says, why are you persecuting me? And that's the third thing I want you to notice from this encounter. I want you to notice the identification that Jesus, the God, the son, how he identifies with his church. Oh, friends, this, this, Humbled and convicted Saul, but let me tell you, this should just give us much joy, much hope, much comfort right now. Undoubtedly, there are a number of trials that we're going through, burdens that we're carrying, sorrows that we are sharing. We are not carrying those alone. Are you struggling? Maybe you're being mocked in some way. It might not be like Saul was mocked. It may not be like Stephen was stoned. Maybe, maybe not to that level, but certainly, if you speak the name of Christ, there is something, there's in some ways, we're being challenged. Maybe it's a promotion that we have to overlook or give up because of our conviction. We might lose a job because we stand for our conviction, Regardless of this, notice again, why are you persecuting me? Jesus identifies with his children. And so you are not standing alone. I am not standing alone when we stand for Christ. And this is amazing. All right, listen to this. This has is, this is just genuinely captivated me this week. Saul, God began Saul's life as a Christian with sharing with Saul that when you were persecuting Christians, you were actually persecuting me. The idea that Saul learned that Jesus, God the Son, was there, and actually everything he did towards Christians, he did to Jesus. That same truth that convicted Saul on the road to Damascus, will later at the end of his life comfort Saul. You'll remember in Second Timothy four sixteen. This is the end of of his life the end of Paul's life, and he says this, he's being persecuted. He says, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me So that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Isn't that amazing? Jesus Christ, he will use the same truth that convicts us and opens our eyes and brings us to faith in Jesus. He will use that same truth to comfort us, to give us courage and to give us hope in life. This was an answer to Stephen's prayer. So the Lord is converting Saul. Look at verse 5. And he said, who are you, Lord? What a great question to ask. What a great question. Saul went in. He, he started that, that journey to Damascus not fully knowing, actually not knowing Jesus Christ at all. But now he says, who are you, Lord? And again, Jesus said, I am Jesus. And he repeats this. I had the fact that he's identifying with his people. He says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. You see how God is using the very Mm -hmm. zeal that Saul had in his life. Saul intended to please God. He had great intentions. Again, his intentions would not save him But God was showing him, graciously showing him, that all of what you're doing, you're trying to defend and honor God. You're actually persecuting God. And I am that God. I am he. And he says, I am Jesus. Now, think about this for a moment. Jesus is the key. Jesus is who we are proclaiming. What should you believe about Jesus? What should Paul believe about Jesus and what should Saul believe about Jesus should understand that Jesus is God you remember in Matthew chapter 1 the birth of Jesus prior to the birth of Jesus the angel said she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins Uh, Jesus, who will save his people from their sins, was saving Saul at that moment from his sins. I am Jesus. Acts 4.12, just a few chapters before this passage, Acts 4.12, that there is salvation in no one else, for as there is no other name under heaven given among men by which one can be saved, this was the only truth, that Saul needed it was the only truth that could save him it is the only news that he needed to know is that Jesus is in his presence I am Jesus whom you are persecuting he says Well notice verse 6 So he says I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting but he goes on Jesus says but rise rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. At that moment, Saul understood that Jesus was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. There was a dramatic shift in his understanding, in his belief that Jesus was who he said he was. And so God graciously, Jesus graciously gives a command. So he goes, you know, Saul was going toward, to Damascus to persecute Christians. Now he was going to proclaim Christ. What a radical change. And this, again, should give us much hope and courage <coughs> in what God can do. He, he was, again, he was going to Damascus to make Christians prisoners of Paul. But actually what was happening was God was making Saul a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Saul even identifies into his letter in Philemon, Philemon, as Paul was writing to Philemon, he identifies that, hey, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. So he goes, he goes to Damascus, verse eight, nine. We learn in seven that that those witnesses they were very it was very intentional while while they why they were there but they didn't fully understand they did not understand what was happening but verse 8 Saul rose from the ground so he gets up he rose from the ground and although his eyes were open he saw nothing so they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus again how the lord was strategically setting up witnesses Yeah, he's going to blind Saul. Saul needs help. He uses, as best as we know, unbelievers to minister to Saul and to also proclaim that Saul, this was not a subjective thing. This was a verifiable encounter. And so, verse 8, he goes and verse 9. And for those three days, he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now, in closing, I just want to grab a few more verses in verses uh, 10 through 18 as we wrap up. Because it's amazing to know that Saul commissioned, God commissioned Saul. He brings him to Damascus, but notice God is not finished working. As he's giving Saul, he's radically changing Saul's life. At the same time, he's working on this Christian named Ananias. Now, you can imagine if you were asked, if you are clear and the Lord asked you, I want you to go to, and fill in the blank, but right now, since we've talked so much about him, let's just say Saul. I want you to go to this man named Saul. You can imagine, you kind of can, I'm sure you can identify with Ananias' response. Look, just again, look at your scripture He says, but Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem, and now he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. So as God is working on Saul, he's also working on Saul's disciple. He's also working in Ananias' life, and praise the Lord, God is working on our life as well. Very possibly the Lord is giving you the courage and the boldness to be ready to share and disciple and share your faith with someone. Well, the Lord was gracious, Jesus was gracious, but he didn't let Ananias off the hook. He just responded, but the Lord said to him, no, go. I want you to go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children, children of Israel. So understand, it, it was a miraculous work that God saved Saul. But let me tell you, it was a miraculous work that God prepared Ananias to be obedient to go towards Saul. So I want to encourage you, regardless of what we are doing, if we, when we are faithful and obedient to Christ, it is a miraculous work of God. And to God be the glory. So we, there is not, we cannot, there's not a too small of a task for any one of us regardless if we are preparing a meal or preaching a sermon, when we are being faithful to use the gifts that God has given us, we are honoring and glorifying Christ and we're doing it by the strength that only Jesus can give us. And so God's gonna get the glory for Ananias, for what he does in Ananias' life. And so we'll wrap up with, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Jesus told Saul, you need to go and wait. And now he's answering Saul's prayer. He's going to find out. He's going to show Ananias now, or show Saul what all he has in store. Verse 17, it's the last theological truth I want to close and share. Ananias departed. He entered the house and laying his hands on him, notice this. He says, brother Saul. Ananias greets Saul as a believer as a brother in Christ. And the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and what? Be filled with the Spirit. Saul had the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwelt in Saul. And in order of events, I just want you to notice Later he was baptized, and immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. He regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. There is a teaching that associates receiving the Holy Spirit at baptism. Friends, Acts 9 makes it clear that is not the order. Saul understood that Jesus was God. God radically saved Saul. The Holy Spirit dwelt Saul. Then later, he publicly professed that in believer's baptism. Isn't it amazing, brothers and sisters, the, the miraculous work and meticulous work of God in our life? And so, as we wrap up, as we think about this passage, my prayer for all of us, myself included, that God would remind us of those people that are in our life as Our friend Kyle Mercer would say that are near to us but far from God. My prayer is that God would remind us of who those people are. And regardless of thinking and believing, oh, they're too far. There's no way that God can save them. Let's learn from Stephen and let's pray that the Lord would be gracious and not count their sin against them. Let's learn from Ananias to trust that God has a great work for us and just trust that the Lord would give us strength and boldness to go and speak of Christ to a dying world. And let's be ready to disciple and make disciples of all nations, just like the Lord commanded Saul, he commanded Ananias to go, and so he commands us to go and proclaim the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your miraculous and meticulous grace and work of God that you have done in our lives, that you are doing in, in our lives, and that you will do. And Lord, I ask that you would remind us, I pray that you would convict us of those, when we have stopped praying for people like Saul, I pray that you'd convict us, I pray that we'd be like Stephen, that would have the courage to pray and believe that you change lives. Lord, I pray that you would convict us when we are like Ananias and we're doubting whether this person A or person B wants to hear the name of Jesus and so we shrink back. Lord, I pray that you would convict us of that and give us the courage to speak the name of Christ, to disciple, to share our life and your word with other people. And Father, I do pray, Lord, as we look at Saul, I pray that you would give us just the the delight and the zeal to live our whole life for you. And regardless of the opposition, that we would be able to to know and believe and take courage in the fact that you stand with us. We thank you for identifying with your children. Thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.